0: Well, good morning. First of all, I need to say thank you to um, Debbie and our choir. Man, I could hear her sing the ABCs and the choir back her up, and I would be led in worship. Uh, there's something about when somebody worships from their whole heart, and she's on staff with us now, serving in kids ministry. And what a great job! When when people lead from their hearts and from their experience. We genuinely know he won't fail through the generations. So it's good to be with you this morning. For those of you that are new here, I am not Pastor Bob. You will see that from the size of this podium. I almost have to get on a riser to use my notes. It's okay. And, and I began to wonder this morning about something. I thought, he asked me to preach probably back in January sometime, hey, will you preach on March 12th? And I said, sure. Little did I know at that point that he was going to preach an awesome sermon series on the seven churches of Revelation, and then last week we were going to have the man, the myth, the mustache, Pastor George, (laughs) with an interview, and then this Sunday we were going to have the clocks change. I thought, man, this is the holy trinity of wah, wah, wah. But it's good that you're here. It's good that you're on time. And I've got to tell you, if any of you are responsible for this daylight savings time thing, I've heard that it's passed the House. Now it needs to go to the Senate or vice versa. I'm not getting all political. All I want to point out to you is, if you are a part of this, can we get on board to do one thing? During the fall, when we fall back, could we have that change at 2 a.m. And when we spring forward, have that at 2 p.m.? How awesome would it be to walk into a meeting at 2 and then the clocks change and go, sorry guys, got a meeting at (laughs) 3. Why do we lose an hour of sleep? So if you need that hour of sleep, I encourage you to get started now. won't hurt my feelings, we'll blame it on the time change, right? Well, what does this have to do with the sermon? Absolutely nothing at all, except for it's that time of year. It's that time of year when the sun begins to lengthen our days, if you're in the northern hemisphere. It's that time of year where as Christians, we celebrate, or we honor, we observe what's called Lent. Now, I have to admit to you, I grew up in a pastor's home in the church of God, and, and I had heard the word Lent, but it was always that Catholic thing. I grew up and um, understood that it's more than just that. For it's a day—it's it's a time of 40 days, if you take away Sundays, that starts on Ash Wednesday. This year it was February 22nd, and it goes until Easter Sunday. It's a time of preparation. The, the word Lent comes from the old English word lengthen, which means to lengthen because the days were getting longer. I never knew that until studying this week. I have to admit to you that. I always thought, why is it Lent? That's why. It's a time where we give something up usually. Maybe it's um, chocolates or sweets or caffeine, social media, Netflix, TV. It's it's a time where we give something up, but it's also—it can be a time where we take something on— whether we serve or volunteer. We commit to reading Scripture or memorization of Scripture. I'll tell you one time, I, I took something on, and it's what I cheesily called um, Encouragement. I was turning 30 years old, and Ash Wednesday was on my birthday, and I thought, man, I gotta look back over the last 30 years of my life, and I gotta make a list of people, men specifically, who are outside of my um, of my." initial, whatever you call it, the family. That was my dad and my brother. Those were the only two guys in my family there. And I said, I need to take one person a day and write them an encouraging letter to let them know over the 30 years how much they encouraged me. So that was something that I took on one year. So we either give something up or we take something on, but a lot of times we give something up so we can take something on. I, I think of it this way. Lent Our uh, preparation—sorry, our participation in Lent is a spiritual discipline that creates space in preparation for encountering God. I'll say that one more time. Participating in Lent, for me, is a spiritual discipline that creates space in preparation for encountering God. So we model these 40 days after the story of Jesus going to the wilderness— So from there, I'll have you stand for the reading of God's Word. It's in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 through the chapter of 4, but I'm just going to read the first part up to chapter 4, verse 1. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Let's pray. God, help us this moment see that space is not a threat, but a place to which you're leading us. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So let's pick up this story here. And Jesus has been baptized. He's probably roughly 30 years old at this point. And he gets baptized, and he was announced as as God's son, if you just heard in that sermon or in that scripture, God said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Now, remember, this is Bible times. So often we take our American times and we put it on these Bible times, and so let's try not to do that this morning, although that's what's typical of us. We think, he just got baptized, he just got anointed as God's son, now what should he do? Get going! Come on, Jesus! We've been told that the Messiah was going to come for so long. You've just been told you're the Messiah, let's go, let's go, let's go. Right? That's how we tend to think in American culture. Produce, go, get going. What does he do? He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus stops the hurried pace so he can create sacred space so that he can fully embrace the mystery of the presence of his Father. Jesus stops the hurried pace so he can create some sacred space so that he can fully embrace the mystery of God his Father. If we are to model our lives around that, there's a couple things we need to do. We need to slow our pace so we can create some space. And that's what Lent is all about. To reduce our pace. I got to admit to you, this was a sermon that was hard to prepare because I'm horrible at this. And that's why sometimes as pastors we feel inadequate to share, because we're people just like you on a journey who's trying to follow Christ as best we can. But here's the reality. Too often, we're living at or past our capacity. Our lives are packed. We're living at a breakneck speed where we're overcommitting, overworking, overstressing, over-obsessing, overscheduling, overeating and under-resting. and we can't all blame that on the time change last night. Busy is the answer that we give to people. "How are you doing, man? things are busy, but they're good. It's like our default because we feel our culture values busyness. It, I know it comes out of my mouth more than anything, man, how are you doing? Man, I'm doing so good. It's been busy recently, but it's been good. I feel like I have to say that because to be validated and encouraged, I need to claim that I have busyness. Busyness is an epidemic, a pandemic for us. Our pace of life is crazier than it ever has been. Let me just help you meditate on some of this we got fast food restaurants that are trying to quicken the pace, where they've got monitors that tell you how many seconds you've been in line. We've got cars that are marketed with what? Zero to 60 in how many seconds? We've got microwaves, now we've got air fryers. We've got internet speeds that keep going up and up. When will instant be quick enough? Computer speeds, memory speeds. We had 3G for telephones, now 4G, now 5G. We got Amazon Prime. Two days used to be good. Then it was one day. Now it's same day. We've got audibles and podcasts where you can read a book, but don't just read it at the speed the author intended. Make sure you speed it up to 1.5. That's what I do. We had snail mail. Now we've got email. But also, in addition to that, we've got instant messaging. Do you know the designers of Facebook and Twitter, And and messaging created those little bubbles. If you watch and you send a message to somebody, the message comes, they start to type something back, and it's these bubbles. They did that to addict you to your phone so that you wouldn't put your phone down and that you would have more screen time because you can see that something is instantly happening. At what point in our world do we get to slow down? We can't keep up. But Jesus, who was told he was God's son— And that we should listen to him. Slows his pace. Period. He slowed his pace. So in this crazy world, how do we slow down? Let me give you some examples. I'll tell you this. I brought this book up here because this is a book that has helped me immensely. And some of our staff are going through this. It's John Mark Comer's The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. He goes through a list, some of these which I'm sharing but some you would find in there if you're interested in studying more. What if you actually drove the speed limit? (laughs) I've tried it for the past two weeks, it's miserable. (laughs) It creates, creates an anxiety in me that I'm not comfortable with. So that's why I set my cruise control, because my foot just seems to want to go at 45 when the speed limit's 40. What if when you came up to a stoplight, you didn't always try to go to the shortest line? What if at the grocery store, instead of finding the shortest line, you went to the longest line and you forced yourself to slow down? What would that do for your soul? Yeah, you might think, hey, I'll be late. Guess what? Start earlier. Leave your house earlier. What if you need to give something up? You need to declutter your house. You need to say no to some events that are taking up family time. What if you need to live by a budget because your life is so fast-paced that you just spend, 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 and you need to slow down? How about this? What if you allowed boredom? read a study that said boredom is no longer a thing. I thought, huh, I'm bored all the time. False. I'm in a consumption mode of entertainment all the time. It used to be that I was on a plane, and this is what the research said. This guy said, you remember the time when you were on a plane and you opened up a book and you actually finished the book and then you went through the magazine that was in front of you and you finished the crossword puzzle or just gave up because it was too hard? That's me. That's me. And then all you could do was look out the window. That's boredom. We never allow ourselves to be bored. Slow your pace down by being bored. Turn off your notifications on your phone. The list can go on and on, and you can find more in this book. But the Savior of the world, the Messiah who was promised to come in prophecies, stepped away and slowed down. Now, the thing is, slowing down creates some space. Here's the second problem for us as Americans. We don't like space. We don't like silence. We always say it in my house that when we spent time in Germany, Germans spoke when they had something to say, and Americans spoke when nothing was being said because they had to fill the silence. They were uncomfortable with it. When you slow your life down in such a way... There is some space created we're not comfortable with space because we we feel like we have to fill it we have to be productive and space isn't productive space is a weakness we just don't like it it's laziness if you're not doing something here you're called lazy i wonder if we really thought man jesus was anointed as the son of god from god himself First time Trinity is mentioned in the same time, in the same place in Scripture. First time Trinity is there, God speaking. The Holy Spirit comes on a dove, and Jesus is there coming out of the water. And he slows down to create some space, and it wasn't laziness at all. He blows up that mindset. He, he goes into the wilderness and creates a different perspective. I'm going to read just a quick passage in, in here from this, this book that I reference John Mark Comer says, I read it this way, this passage of the wilderness. Isn't that so like the devil? To come at us at the end of a long day or a long week? Because if you remember the story, Jesus went to the wilderness and he fasted for 40 days. And it was at the end of the 40 days that Satan comes to him and tempts him with bread. And then he tempts him with all these different challenges that he could do but chose not to do, that Jesus could do, but chose not to do. And so John Mark Comer and Aaron Varner thinks this. Isn't that just like the devil? To come at us at the end of a long day or a long week when we're hangry and at our worst. For those of you that don't know the word hangry, that means you are so hungry that you become angry. It's a spiritual gift of mine. But then I realized I had it backwards, John Mark Comer says. The wilderness isn't the place of weakness, it's the place of strength. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness because it was there and only there that Jesus was at the height of his spiritual powers. It was only after a month and a half of prayer and fasting in the quiet place that he had the capacity to take on the devil himself and walk away unscathed. That's why, over and over again, you see, just see Jesus come back to the wilderness— Or to his solitude time. If Jesus recognized the wilderness as 40 days of fasting, of the space that he created because he slowed his pace, he recognized that of preparation and not productivity, we must as well. We must as well. But how can we view this space? How can we view this time of Lent as a place of preparation? Resist the urge to produce. Resist the urge to produce. I think production is the enemy of our soul. I believe production is the enemy of our soul. That's not to say being lazy. Because you all know the difference between being lazy and creating space. I hope you do. I hope you understand as we chat this morning. To God, or to Jesus, and to God, let me say it this way, to God, Jesus' identity was not in what he was going to do, it rested in who he was. Jesus comes out of the water, the dove comes down, and God says, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Did you notice he didn't say, this is my son who is going to do great things and save you from your life of sin. And that's why I love him. He didn't talk about the production at all. He didn't talk about what Jesus was going to do. He talked about who Jesus was. And so oftentimes we get in this production mode. Hey, I'm Aaron. Nice to meet you. Hey, I'm Justin. What do you do? Well, you know, I, I do this and that. This is what I do for work. Man, it's busy. We talk about what we do and then talk about how busy it makes us. And Jesus is radically shifting this and saying, slow the pace and create some space. Resist the urge to produce and live in who you are. The other thing when space is created because we've reduced our pace is we have to relinquish control. We have to relinquish control. Let me give it to you this way. Space is created and it's maintained and defended. Space is not controlled. Let me um, go. Now, if we're ever playing Pictionary together, don't choose me on your team because I'm a horrible drawler, but hopefully you will get this. I am more of a math person and a visual person than I am anything else. So hang with me here as I do this um, cool little chart that's not so cool, but hopefully you get it. That's plus, this is minus, this is fear, the line of fear, okay? Heightened fear or a lot of fear, not tons of fear. This line here, I'm going to call control. This is me, and this side is God, okay? So what happens is we're here. Now we say God is in control— and I think that we believe that, yet we take this control. We like to control things. And this space is what I'm talking about, is oftentimes we have this, this um, control that we like in our lives. And I have a theory, if you're a psychologist, please don't judge me because it's probably like not in the, um, the manuals or anything like that. My theory is that every fear has a foundation of lack of control. Why do you fear flying? Because my feet aren't on the ground, and when my feet are on the ground, I can control things. Why do you have a fear of public speaking? Because my body starts doing these crazy things, and I can't control my body, nor can I control what people are going to think about me. Why do you fear snakes? I can't control where they're going. Why do you fear the, um, the insecurity that you might get from your spouse? Because as soon as I release some of myself to that person to be trusted, I can't control what they're going to do with it. So what happens is, every time we start to relinquish control, our fears increase. My hypothesis here is that they increase— Fear goes up as we resist control. So every time we give something up, our fears get heightened. We're more nervous. We've given something away. We've confessed something to someone. Do you know that when you confess something to someone, you're releasing it to that person and you're trusting them? That can also bring about a great magnitude of fear. What are they going to do with that information? I can't share that with anybody. So our fears go up, and I believe that there is this place right here where it's kind of plateaued off. It's kind of right in the middle of um, me and God's control, where I have to make a decision. I'm at the heightened of my fear. I've got one way to go. I can either go back to me and control and reduce these fears, or I've got to release more control. The interesting thing is the more control we release to God, honestly, the more fears decrease. And in space, we like to control things. That's why we're not comfortable with space. We like to be in control. So we've got to resist the urge to produce. We've got to resist the urge to control. And we have to relinquish control. And then the last thing is we've got to refuse to give answers for everything. But wait. Wait. Doesn't 1 Peter three fifteen say, man, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you? I mean, we quote that all the time. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. Yes, that's what it says, but don't stop there. The scripture says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. There's a difference between giving somebody the reason for the answer for—or an answer for the hope that you have versus giving an answer to everything. I love what Pastor Bob said, uh, I think it was about three weeks ago, when he said, we've got to believe in the I don't know of Ephesians 3.20. It says that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask for. Or imagine. When he can do more than all we can imagine, there are things that we're not going to have the answers for. That's okay. That is okay. Because here's the problem for me. I'm going to go back to this. Hang with me here. This area here is what I call the area of knowledge. This area here is where I can control still. I haven't yet fully relinquished all control. I have this area of knowledge. It's things that I know. Now science is helping us know a little bit more about the world in general, know a little bit more about us. But then we come to this apex here where we've given up control probably halfway between us and God. We come to this apex, and now this is the point of belief. We come here, and we look at this cross, and we go, before this, I can know everything about who Jesus is because it's in history books. It's in history books, so I can put in this knowledge I'm still in control because I know what's going on. It's still here, but we get to this point of the cross. And I don't have the answers for everything. Now here's what happens. We try to take the unanswerable questions and put it back into this area of knowledge. We oftentimes stop here because we're uncomfortable with the space of unanswered questions. Let me just... Help you think of some. How is God both man and divine? Oh, we have an answer for that. But it's closer to that cross than it is down to the control of us. How is he both man and divine? How does God love Cowboys fans and allow them into heaven? (laughs) I mean, you don't have the answer for that. On a more serious note, why am I unable to have kids while child abusers have multiple? Why wasn't my prayer answered? Why was I born privileged in America while other kids are born in complete poverty in the other parts of the world? Why can't I find find the love of my life and many others have no problem doing that? Why did my loved one have to die so early? Someone asks you that. What's your response? That's one of those things that we can try to shove down into the knowledge area to control our emotions or control theirs, but we don't know. You don't know and I don't know why someone lost their son or their daughter, why someone lost their husband earlier. we get to this point and we have to refuse giving answers giving answers shoves us back into the knowledge God wants us to take this ride it's a ride that I will call the beautiful mystery this is what Lent's all about Lent is all about creating some space. It's slowing our pace, creating some space so that when our belief rounds that corner, we're here ready just to meet God. Do you know the definition of make-believe? Make-believe is pretending that which is not real is actually real. Okay? Pretending that that which is real is... Sorry, pretending that which is not real is actually real. My friends, my concern is that we, to people who don't yet know God, we give make-believe answers. And that causes a God who is make-believe. When we give answers that don't—they aren't really who God is—we haven't relinquished all control. People aren't able to experience the fullness of God because we've shoved them down into here. You know, there's one thing about me that um, I'll share, and it's kind of this funny thing, but awkward thing at the same time. I have this thing which I—it's called prospagonia or something like—I can't pronounce it. Don't judge me. It's called face blindness. Maybe some of you have it too. I didn't know what it was until about two years ago at Christmas time. And I've always explained to people, I I can see people, I can see their faces, but then I walk away from them and I can't tell you what they look like. There's just this weird thing to me where it's almost kind of like those blurred out photos. I can see the surroundings. If, if someone came into a store that I was in and created a— or, did a crime, and they said, please describe to us what the person looked like, I would be able to tell you how they walked, what they had in their hand. I could not tell you the first thing about their face. It's a weird thing. I walk away from the mirror, and I really had to put data points in my mind that tell me what color eyes I have, because every time I filled out a form that said height, weight, color of eyes, I had to look at somebody and say, what color eyes do I have? Because I don't see myself. I struggle with people when I meet them because I can't remember if I've met them or not because I it's not just that I forget faces and I'm not good with them. I can't see you when I'm not seeing you. So, I tell you all this to say I've got a smoking hot wife. In the words of Pastor Bob, this means right. <laughs> My wife is beautiful. But even with her, who I've been married to now, going on 13 years, there was a time that we were laying in bed, and she said something about a movie, and said this was my favorite part of the movie, and he said, "I love the sparkle of your eyes." He wasn't looking at her. "I love the sparkle of your eyes," as it da da da. It was a Hallmark thing or something like that, and she goes, "You probably don't know what color eyes I have, do you?" In my response, we had been married about five or six years at this point. My response was, "Blue." And she goes, oh my goodness. Well, at this point, we didn't know that face blindness was an actual thing, but I I genuinely have it. Now, here's what I tell you in this, is that I know my wife is beautiful. I know that I love her. I know that she has blue eyes right now. And I know when I wake up in the morning, I'm going to believe that she's still going to be beautiful and she's still going to be my wife. But when I wake up and she walks into a room and I couldn't describe you to her right now because I'm not looking at her, there's still a mystery there that goes, wow. 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 Right? And there's times where we know a lot about God and there's times that we le- believe a lot about God, but then there are times that we need to be in the mystery and just allow him to go, Aaron, here's who I am. And all we can say is, wow. All we can say is, wow, we thought you were this, we knew you were this, we believed you were this, but now there's space enough just to embrace the mystery of Christ. Read Colossians. He talks a lot about the mystery in there of Christ. It is super fascinating. Let me close with reiterating what I said at the beginning. Participation in Lent is a spiritual discipline that creates space in preparation for encountering God. God wants to prepare you for a celebration like no other this year for Easter. He wants to reintroduce you to that which you know, that probably which you believe, yet that which you can experience in the mystery of a risen Christ. Jesus died. We can prove it historically. But how in the world does a dead man, after three days, rise again? I don't know, but wow. I don't know. But wow, that's the God we serve. So what are you going to do to slow down and create space? And what are you going to do with that space? As a congregation, we've tried to make ways that we can slow down. That we can create space. That we can help in this journey of knowledge, belief, and mystery. There are people who are in a wilderness... outside of here. You may be one of those people that's in a wilderness. The difference between this wilderness and one that Jesus was experiencing was it didn't feel like you were led to prepare you. You feel like you were led there to punish you. I don't know why you're there. But there's this beauty in the space that God allows when we slow our pace that we get to help attend to others. Because Jesus, after Satan left and he realized he couldn't tempt him to the point where where Jesus would give in, said the devil left and the angels attended to him. I believe that our congregation can be angels to people in the wilderness if we we will allow ourselves to be. I believe that if you make space in your life, you can also be that some of the things that we've got going on now if you're praying about what to give up or maybe you've already know what to give up but you don't know what to replace it with in that space we've got prayer time at 6:30 on Tuesday mornings two ladies have been dedicated to be praying each Tuesday morning for the past years and Pastor George shared last week that he was going to be there and encourage us to be there. And 29 people were there last week, praying over you, this congregation, praying over the people that would walk in here, that there would be a, a spirit that falls fresh and anew. Maybe you need to join us. Maybe you need to give a scholarship to a kid that needs to go to windshape camp or a youth camp. Maybe you need to go on a missions trip, as was shared in the announcements. Maybe you need to participate in this next thing, because the second Sunday of every month is what we call the dollar club. The dollar club is something special that we do, that we just ask people to give one dollar, and as those dollars come together, we get to see what an individual dollar does corporately in the community, as we are Jesus' hands and feet. Now, what I'm asking is that when we give a dollar, that's— you're giving something up. You've created space, right? Now you can't get a shot of espresso. No, you can't even get a shot of espresso at Starbucks for a dollar, I don't think. But now you can't even go into Starbucks parking lot. (laughs) But if you give a dollar, you give something up. This month, we're doing something a little bit different. Because um, we're not uh, doing something locally, we're doing something globally— if you remember February 6th, two massive earthquakes hit the area of Turkey and Syria. And a lot of times what happens is humanitarian aid goes rushing in right away, and um, they, they help a lot. But then we um, become immune to the news, and people become immune to the news, and that aid stops going. So here we are two months later, and we want to participate to re-engage the people that need it. The death toll estimates are over 50,000 people. 1.5 million homeless in Turkey alone. 56% of Syrians were internationally and externally displaced prior to the earthquake. Weather is cold and lack of shelter is prevalent. Space was given— By the Church of God and our partner ministry, Heart from Lebanon, to go, hey, we don't know exactly who we're gonna be serving, but we need to create this space to allow people to come in and experience the mystery of Christ and his church at work. Now we get to be a part of that. So I'd have you stand. Now I'm gonna give the a prayer and then a benediction. And there's going to be buckets at the doors that you can put your dollars in as you walk out. But as I pray, pray along with me in your own head. God, how are you asking me to slow down? And Father, as I slow down, help me just live in the space that I've just created— So that I may understand your mystery. Let's pray. God, I love that you gave us the example of the person and teaching of Jesus. Because in this world, especially in this culture in which we live, we're busy. And if it wasn't for that, we would always make excuses. But because you gave us Jesus, we know we can do it. So God, as we pray about what we should give up, remind us that even though Ash Wednesday was February 22nd, it's never too late to slow the pace. God, as we do, as we create that space that's needed, I pray today, that you would wow us with your mystery. There are things in life that we're never going to understand even if we try to understand them because an understandable, fully understandable God is too small to be worshiped. So Father, may we embrace the mystery and worship you with our whole hearts. In your name we pray, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace in the space to enjoy his presence. Go with the Lord. You've been at church. Go be the church and be wowed by his mystery. Amen.